Hello, Wrenches, and welcome to the Wrench Turners Podcast 10 Mill Mastery Edition. It's a show where the lads and I discuss relevant topics to today's technicians and service leaders. In today's episode, Stefan brings up a really important question about kind of recent topics, actually. Is EV adoption coming, or is Tesla fixing to destroy its competition? Let's get into it. Stefan. So on the on the topic of recharge, um, so I'm going to completely, you know, shift this whole conversation here and see see what what you guys have heard through the pipeline, perhaps. But uh, I caught wind that Ford is going to piggyback off of Tesla's supercharger network, and I'm very curious to see if this is going to be the nail in the coffin for EV vehicles. And the reason why I say that is because Tesla controls quite the network throughout the United States and in Canada. And if all the OEMs have to piggyback on their network, is this how Tesla kills their competition? Or is this how we shift into an EV culture that is actually sustainable? So, opinions, comments, concerns. GM has also... GM uh, Thursday or Friday announced that they are also negotiating, working out a deal that they are going to be charging on Tesla's network as well. So it's not just Ford. Um, I think it's going to be a huge step uh, in the right direction for EV vehicles because it opens up a network of fairly reliable chargers for not just Teslas, but also for Fords, for General Motors, for whoever else works out and negotiates. So it's going to help with the infrastructure issue. Um, we have a charger here, can't get it working because the the electronics, you know. So um, they're still trying to sort out with the electronics so that our, our stuff that we paid $45,000 for will work. Um, as far as I know, we're the only charging station here in this town. Um, Having having these networks open, um, apparently they did get something working because we had a Nissan Leaf in here charging on Friday. Um, so, you know, having these things available that can go across brands is certainly going to help and improve the situation. Now, is it the end-all, be-all? No, no. But is it going to help? Absolutely. Richard, what's... Uh, I? You crossed your arms as soon as the question was asked. Uh, so I, I've, once the announcement came out with Ford and then the announcement came out with GM, I did some digging into it. So they're basically going to roll the licensing to um, gain access to the Tesla network into Ford and GM. So that doesn't mean that the, we, that the, those two manufacturers will continue to use the ISO connector. They're not going to use uh, Tesla's proprietary connector. They'll be able to use the full network with an adapter. Tesla has already stepped up and they've already started to change. There's a, they were adding it onto their supercharger network where there's going to be an adapter there. A lot of, there's a way to access the Tesla network from a, uh, non-Tesla ownership standpoint, but you have to buy into it. You got to pay membership, I believe. I can't remember what the fees are, but Tesla, it's 
it's going to be beneficial for the entire EV industry because Tesla has a dedicated network across both Canada and the U.S. There's other networks out there. There's one called Electrify America, which I've seen nothing but horror stories from. Uh, Rivian, I've seen enough. Rivian's burnt to the ground connected to an Electrify America charger. I've seen Hummers burnt to the ground connected to an Electrify America charger. I don't know what's wrong with with their infrastructure. I'm not too sure what's wrong with their software, with their safety latches. I'm not too sure what's going on there, but I've seen enough images of EVs burnt to the ground connected to an Electrify America charger. I don't know what the hell is going on there. I think it's going to, is it going to be beneficial for the EV user? Hell yeah. Is it going to be the the end-all be-all to EV adoption? No. There's physically not enough material in the ground to build enough lithium-ion batteries to support this push, this governmental push for EV adoption. I don't think it's great being in Canada and the U.S. You know, I'm going to go buy an EV and I don't have a tailpipe. I don't have any emissions. Are you insane? You still have emissions. There's still, just because you don't have a tailpipe doesn't mean that you're not pushing emissions into the environment. The uh, the comparable scale, if you take, take an F-150, right? An F-150 with a standard 40 liter tank will give you a thousand liter or like a thousand kilometers to the tank. That's straight up, right? If you take an F-150 Lightning and try and give it a battery pack that gives it a thousand kilometers of range, the now, and like the now, how much carbon it's produced or used throughout its entire lifetime is almost double that of the ICE version. Uh, there's a whole chart out there. There's a whole statistic out there. EVs, you know, they serve their purpose. They're great in large uh, metropolis areas, but that's not the way to go. They're it's for large. If you want to drive from one end of the country to the other, it's going to take you, you know, from to drive from here, from where I'm at to Ontario, it's like 40 hours on in a car, like in an ICE vehicle. That's 40 hours. That's going down through the States and back up because nobody wants to drive through Saskatchewan and Manitoba <laughs> to, to <laughs> Ontario. Does. Nobody does. But to do that in an EV, like you're you're looking at tripling you know you're looking at 120 100 plus hours to drive that distance in an ev until we get there this mass adoption is it's going to fail it, you know tesla has their yes they were the number one selling the tesla model was it the y or the 3 was the number one selling car on the market they they beat toyota like I don't think anybody understands that they beat Toyota as the number one selling car. But what people don't understand is in order to meet that marker, they also signed a huge contract with budget rent-a-car. So will, will EVs get there? I think they will, but that's not the, I don't think it's the end solution. Um, it's great for me because more and more people are repairing their vehicles. You know what we're starting to see, you know, 20, 30 plus year old cars that people are like, you hand them a ticket with 
six grand worth of repairs on it. And they're like, yeah, do it. And you're like, okay. Like, so it's great for me on my aspect because I'm, I'm seeing that. I don't know if you're seeing that Stefan. Um, I'm pretty sure Russell's seeing it. We're seeing a lot more customers maintain and take care of their, their older vehicles and making them more reliable. And, but the, this Tesla adoption isn't going to be the nail in the coffin. I mean, look at, I don't know if you guys know the, the Hyundai on Ionic 5. It has a physical problem in hot weather conditions when you have the charger in and plugged in. If it's running at a level two charge, it will actually overheat the plug and throttle down until it shuts charging off because the connector overheats. And then it will start back up and it'll start and then ramp down. So there's so many issues right now with EVs. I mean, GM just discontinued the Bolt. So the Bolt's gone as of 2023. And then we're getting, what is it, the Equinox, the Blazer, the Sierra, the Silverado, the Hummer. You can't even get the the top tier vehicles right now. There's such a wait list. The Hummer EV is selling for a quarter million dollars privately. Who can afford that, right? Who can afford... You can afford, you know, a fifty, sixty thousand dollar EV. The the budget for these vehicles is just it's insane. Until we come up with a cheap EV that can get you from point A to point B more than a hundred kilometers, because even a Nissan Leaf is you're looking at a hundred and like hundred and fifty eight kilometer range. And that car's forty eight thousand dollars. Like And we don't and here in Canada we're not getting the uh, incentives uh, that we used to, like a friend of mine bought a Leaf uh, several years ago, and it was like, I'm just trying to remember the numbers, so forgive me, don't don't quote me on this. If if Philip's listening, he'll be able to chime in, and I'll get a text message someday saying, hey, no, this is right, whatever, whatever. But he bought a, I think he bought a Leaf that was two years old on a lot. So think about it conceptually. So it's 2023 right now. Think about buying a brand new 2021 that's still on the lot. So it sat for two years. And he bought it in a time when there was still the green uh, tax rebates live and on our income taxes. So I think we're, we're talk- we'll use the, the number $48,000. That leaf, because of the markdown on the two-year-old car, plus the tax rebates actively from the government on the active buy, and then the subsequent income tax rebates – on buying that car. I think that car was only like $27,000. So that makes that a very affordable, like $27,000 for an economy car is worthwhile, right? But right now there are none of those rebates on that kind of car. So it's just a $48,000, 150-kilometer range vehicle. I don't think that the the statement from Ford and the statement from GM that this is this is how things are going to go. It's definitely going to help. It's definitely going to help adoption. It's definitely going to help sales. Um, I think there's going to be additional problems because, as we all know, as soon as you put an adapter in any kind of electrical situation, you get problems. Um, it might be you know, fully well-resolved quite well, but there's always the less-than-spectacular consumer who doesn't truly really know how to use the adapter properly or use the connector properly that burns the car down. Um I, I believe that our source materials, I think the, I believe, this is a belief, not completely uh, due diligence belief, but I believe that there's more than enough materials for those batteries because it's being underreported. 
I think there's a lot of stuff that's that's not truly reported properly, and that inclu- that that I I believe it, Richard. Genuinely, I I believe it. I have a feeling that something is is not quite right. I I know I know <laughs> we both looked, but my gut tells me that something's not right with the reporting. It's no, just a, it's so, pure gut. It. So that that's the thing. Like there were what the hell? I just saw something about. There are enough vapes thrown out in a year to make the equivalent of, I think it's like 6,000 EV like vehicle batteries. They're not mm-hmm. recycled. They're tossed in the garbage. How many cell phones are tossed in the garbage? They're not recycled, right? Like that's the, the whole, this is, this is the whole conspiracy theorist in me, this whole green push. Green technology isn't green. I don't know how many like I don't know how many people hear that and they immediately think like oh arguing point. What I would love to see in Canada is more nuclear, more investment in nuclear because in Alberta we have like I think it's one maybe one nuclear plant. I'm not too sure. I'll have to look at it. We may have zero, right? Canada there's that big push for for the entire 80s like no nukes, no nukes, you know when. And the, no, that was the 60s and 70s and 80s, right? When when America and Russia were building up their ICBM arsenal, and you know everything was amazing because everything was nuclear, and Canada kind of went the opposite direction. Do we need to change the way that we think about our environmental impact? Yes. Are we going about it the right way right now? I I believe we aren't. I think this is a knee-jerk reaction to a problem that none of us know how to really solve, right? Like, you have extremes on the left and extremes on the right. Speaking of nuclear, and one of the big reasons why nuclear has always been a problem, and I know we're we're talking about but not talking about Stefan's question about EVs and, and adoption and so on and so forth, but this is this is still somewhat relevant here. Our nuclear got somewhat kiboshed especially in this country in Canada because of what to do with the waste and that has always been the challenge that will always continue to be a challenge the i think it's the Swedes um are building like a 4 billion dollar facility um and what they've done is they've drilled down a long way and they've built a really big facility that's going to house their last 50 years of nuclear waste as well as uh enough room to handle their country's nuclear waste until I think they said 2125. So they're building a $4 billion facility and they're actively building it now and actively storing their waste now because it's an active thing. And they figured out a way to, they believe, safely store it because the way they do it fundamentally is they store the tubes of the radioactive material I think there's five or six tubes per cylinder. They encase the cylinder. I can't remember what they encase the first encasement is, but it's a non-corrosive thing. And then they encase it in a large copper pipe, pressed, never will come unsealed, also doesn't corrode, and then um, put it in the ground. And now they're, I think they're like 100 feet to 300 feet down. I don't remember how big it is, but it looks like an ant nest. The way, the way they've built it, it's like a circular uh, path down, and each set they've determined between each other has a set of drills, 
and they put the cylinder with five or six uh, tubes in it, and it's completely sealed, and they'll backfill it. So that'll last them a hundred and some odd years, never contaminate anything else. Um, they're in a place where ge geogra uh, geographically is safe, but this is something that just about every country could adopt in terms of waste. And now we're talking about energy, other than the waste, is clean. And we're talking about how that infiltrates back into EVs, and we're talking about adaptive technologies and charging technologies, and GM and Ford adapt, adopting the charging stations, the supercharger stations from Tesla. That still doesn't solve our our core issue. And Richard, you brought it up, is that distance on charge fundamentally? Because I don't know if all of us have experienced what a pure hardcore electric car drives like and it's a whole lot of damn fun but it, it's a only a whole lot of fun for a short period of time we can't go a thousand kilometers on a tank and then in six minutes fill the tank and go another thousand kilometers not possible no matter how big the battery is and if I understand correctly uh, on the Tesla semi it's two battery packs they're 8,000 pounds piece which is like having two Hummers in the truck so that, that complicates other things like runaway. Like that's that's you know, sixteen thousand pounds more than the average semi truck, irrespective of trailer, that's a problem on a runaway. You're people die doing something dealing with something with like even if they have runaway runoff shoots, um, that's a problem. Talked out about that in cars in the UK especially, and now I've heard about it in the States. They're banning EVs at the track because they don't have the facilities capable of dealing with fire related to batteries. So if you have a Tesla, like uh, uh, I think if you go on Google and you, you look up the dark helmet, uh, it's a model, model S plaid that is hardcore track fitted, is supremely fast, but it's at a track. They had to get special permission to go to that track and have special stuff on hand to be able to race that car on that track. So it, these are problems that they're having. And Marshall, coming to you to deal to, to talk about this, um, have you seen electrical, electrification what, in what you're dealing with at the shop and what you're dealing with on the road? Yeah, so we, we have, a, I mean, we have all the same technology that the cars have. You know, we have hybrid trucks, um, not successful at all. They're terrible. Um, they have a lot of problems, and I think it's not that they're really terrible. It's it's that the technicians uh, there's not a lot of technicians that are trained properly in the in the heavy duty field to to maintain them. I think is the biggest thing um, with the hybrids. I, I work on them quite a bit, um, but they are they have a lot of problems, and the tr the problems are difficult to diagnose, um, mainly because. Um, the the diagnostic stuff isn't quite there. Um, the you were touching on the weight of the batteries on the full electric vehicles, um, where that poses a problem with uh, for us in class seven and class eight, is that our vehicles can only weigh a certain amount, right? For DOT purposes and uh, same for in Canada, you, the the heavy duty trucks can only weigh a certain amount because they have to travel on roads that can only carry a certain amount of weight. So 
there, there's a reason why you see a truck pulled over, you see a, a, a police officer in an SUV, and he's carrying boxes with him. Those are scales, and he's going to throw those scales under there, and that vehicle can only gross a certain amount of weight. Well, if we can only gross a certain amount of weight, and we add 8,000 pounds times 2, 16,000 pounds to the truck, that's 16,000 pounds less cargo that the vehicle can carry. So those companies make their money on the amount of cargo that they can carry. So if we add so, 16 pounds, or go ahead. I had just a quick question. How much does the engine and the uh, transmission weigh on one uh, of those Oh, trucks? they're heavy. Um, to put it in perspective, I think a 5.9 Cummins, just, just the engine wet is like 1,000 pounds. So when we're if we put that in scale, the engines that I work on are 15 liters. They're uh, almost, you know, they're considerably bigger. You know, uh, it's still not so, 16,000 pounds. Yeah, I mean it's not 16,000, no, no. but taking no. so so you're going to have the transmission, the electric transmission. You are going to have that. So the weight of the transmission doesn't really come out, but the weight of the engine does. So yeah. say we reduce the weight of by 5,000 pound engine. I'm just guessing. Yeah, yeah. I'm not sure. Um, so there is some, you know, removing the 5,000-pound engine covers some of that weight difference. But, again, yes, it is a reduction in cargo by, say, 10,000 pounds. Right. So the, the trade-off is, is, is not that great. Um, we have the same problems you guys have with distance um, for the full electric vehicles. Um, we are uh, certifying our techs in them, but what I foresee uh, we already have um, alternative fuel uh, zero emission vehicles that we've been running heavily for years, and we're getting 800,000 miles out of those trucks uh, reliably, and um, the maintenance costs are, are not much more or probably even to uh, the normal diesel engines, um, so reliability is not a problem. Refill stations for natural gas are 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 probably very comparable to uh, keeping a, a, a diesel setup at your uh, fleet location. So um, I really feel like the way uh, that they're going to start leaning in heavy duty is alternative fuels. Um, uh, all of the engine manufacturers are releasing alternative fuel engines. Cummins is, put, is all in on alternative fuels, so in the next five years, they're gonna convert all of the tr engines that they offer in all chassis are gonna go to only three engines, and they're all multi-fuels. They can run on hydrogen, they can run on natural gas, they can run on diesel. So they've gone all in on natural gas. Um, and I know that they have some uh, electrical portions, but they're leaning very heavily in natural gas. Um, and as far as our master uh, tech programs go, um, you can go, they let us choose alternative fuel or electric vehicle to go master. And I would say probably 80% of the technicians, they're leaning into alternative fuel also because that's what we see. We, you know, I think I've seen three fully electric trucks ever. So, um, Russell, what did you, what were you go, jumping in there? Uh, I had some questions about the the emissions controls on those. Um, if it's switching over to, to CNG or to hydrogen, do you need the same level of uh, uh, NOx control and um, um, soot control that you have on a diesel? Yeah, so they're, um, they're not literally a multi-fuel, so that one engine is not running on all three options. So it's build-to-suit. 
um, but they're going to uh, it's it's one engine and you you choose that one fuel. I believe is how they're doing it. Mm -hmm. um, okay, so on on the um, hydrogen or the well on hydrogen, I know you wouldn't need it because it's just water and heat are the emissions. But on uh, um, on the uh, natural gas, would you need all of these emissions? Things? Yeah. So it. That you have on the DL. Yeah, it has a, a, a has a an almost uh, DPF like setup in it, and it also has what similar to an SCR system. It has two sections, and it's just different material in the cans, and they don't do active regions uh, like the diesel versions of them. And they got a completely different intake as, uh, uh, assembly that is uh, metering the fuel and all of those things. It, it's very comparable to like a carbureted setup and 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 a lot of people uh i i find the the propane yeah the natural gas setups they're they're insanely uh uh easy to work on uh once you start working on them they have a completely separate um module that controls the fueling and then they have an ecm but um uh, all the buses in our area they're all running on propane they're Roush, they're Ford Roush V10s that run on propane. So when I go to the bus garage, they're all propane engines. I saw the okay. big smile on Richard's so, face. What well, I want to hear just a quick, quick there for Russell. What's the smile on Russ, Richard's face? The, the 80s are calling. They they'd like their vehicles back, please. That's <laughs> <laughs> the propane. And I'm just like, and just a little tidbit. I just did a quick search before Russell gets back in here. I just did a quick search. So the only thing that I can find quickly, without doing my hardcore due diligence, which I like to do, um, but just as as a, a shout out here, Elon posted back in November they the the Tesla semi did a 500 mile journey with 11 uh, concrete barriers, and somebody kind of did some rough math. And if you take out the weight because so, he posted the total weight. So 81,000 pounds was total weight, including trailer and the concrete barriers. And if you do some best guessing based on the concrete barriers and the trailer, their deduction is that the semi is 27,000 pounds, which, if I understand rightly, and, and Marshall, correct me if I'm wrong, a traditional uh, semi should weigh between, uh, not should weigh, but typically weighs between 15 and 25,000 mm. pounds. So it's really only like a two thousand pound bump. Yeah. So a fifteen liter that, that, a fifteen liter Cummins engine wet weight is thirty one fifty two. That's just the engine, yeah. though. I'm talking about what's what's the what's the tractor weight of that fifteen liter Cummins truck? Uh, yeah. I, yeah. Give me give me one second. I tell you, I'll, I, I'll even select a model, so a, a very popular Kenworth model, so we can be pretty precise. Okay. Cool. Is that that kind of understanding better? So, and this is where we get into it and kind of doing it live, as it were. But my reading to date, and that's where you know they were talking about batteries being two batteries in the semi, and somehow we're still talking about it, Stefan. But two batteries in the semi being eight thousand pounds each. If we got a twenty-seven thousand pound tractor, which means the ballpark means the tractor itself is eleven thousand pounds. Well, if the tractor itself is eleven thousand pounds. That means those motors got to be a whole lot lighter than uh, a thirty, roughly thirty-two hundred pound, fifteen-liter Cummins, right? In theory, because the 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 actual truck itself has got to be quite light. The frame's got to be quite light in, in comparison. Um, 
But then again, if I understand correctly, and somebody can correct me if they're listening, it has six motors, if I'm not mistaken. It might be four, but I think it's got six motors. I think it's got motors on the front wheels and motors on on all four back wheels, I think. I could so, be wrong. What's your weight? So for? one of our most uh, popular over-the-road tractors that we sell is the Kenworth T680. Uh, depending on the uh, fuel capabilities, which are optional, um, that truck weighs 14,200 pounds without fuel. So you can run two... Uh, 150 gallon tanks uh, and fuel weighs eight pounds per gallon so you could add that onto there but it's let's just call it um, that's four thousand pounds of fuel. yeah so we could at most weigh 18k yeah so that's a lot that's another eleven thousand pounds on that tractor yeah so that that the extra two extra battery two batteries on there at eight thousand pounds a piece and your net positive based on uh, weight of engines, because uh, that's that's your variability, right, Russell? I think that we're talking about the variability of the three thirty-two hundred pound Cummins versus the engines that are in the truck. That's your net, and then going your battery separate, so you're eleven of the sixteen. So that's 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 a fairly substantial amount. That, that is really you, a substantial amount. You think about the weight, because that's going to be divided more onto the steer tires. If I remember correctly, steer tires at max are allowed to have 12,000 pounds. Um, so you've got to shift more of that back to the drive tires, and um, you've got all that added weight, 27, or yeah, 27,000 pounds, right? Um, yeah. All that weight on the tires, you're going to be wearing out tires a lot faster, too. So, yes, yeah, you might save... Or they're going to be harder tires without as much grip. You're going to save money on your fuel cost, but you're going to turn around and put it right back in, and because these tires ain't cheap. Back when I was doing them, they were 300 plus a piece, and that was six years ago. Now another tidbit to throw out there: the average uh, semi truck mileage is 6.5 miles per gallon, and that's I don't know how that's I, pretty accurate. I think I think we can take the statistics offline and try and come up with stuff and, and maybe that's something that I can share on the post that goes out uh, or we can add in afterwards but come up with the statistics between your your miles per gallon six and a half miles per gallon average versus what it's going to cost you to charge and the time down because you're not necessarily going to be is your time it, it takes you probably what 20 minutes to fill 500 gallons give or take maybe a little bit longer 20 30 minutes to fill that but it ain't going to be 20 30 minutes to charge charge that two full battery packs on on near empty and if i understand correctly the having stations capable of producing the energy required to charge the batteries is a complete it's a city story. It, it it's a small city it's a city yeah. right it's a to charge one it's a small city to charge one mm. anyway so that that's a that's a great question we covered a whole lot of stuff in there Stefan. that we went we went from your question all the way to Tesla semis and covers weight and stuff. That's pretty cool. Oh, no. That's the end of another episode, wrenches. That's okay. There's another one coming next week. We appreciate you coming to listen, watch, and spend your time with us. We hope that we provide the best possible content for you so that you can be educated, entertained, and feel fulfilled being a technician. Folks, please make sure that you like, comment, 
subscribe, and share the Wrench Turners podcast on whichever streaming service of choice that you're using. Make sure we get in front of the most amount of technician eyeballs and ear holes that we can to spread that message of positivity. Remember that it drops every Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, and Saturday weekly for the most insightful technician content you can find anywhere. Remember that negative pushes, positive pulls, and always clean your toys before you put them away.